0: Beloved, we have come to worship and to praise the Lord, and we've come to sit and feast at His table. God has set a table for us, and that table is outfitted with words of life. And to that end, we want to open up God's Word this morning to The Prophecy of Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, we will lift up verses 1 through 7. So while we're turning, while we're looking, I just have a question for y'all. Are y'all happy to be here this morning? Are y'all happy to be in God's house? And I can testify this morning that I can sing with James Cleveland, I'm glad that the storm has passed over. (laughs) Yeah, the storm has passed over. Hallelujah. Isaiah 55, 1 through 7, let us give attention to God's Word. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David." And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So, on the strength of that passage, we wanted to preach from this title this morning A Most Gracious Invitation. A Most Gracious Invitation. In her 2007 National Book Critics Circle Award winning book, Brother I'm Dying, Haitian-American writer and novelist Edwige Danticat tells her family's story of perseverance in late 20th century Haiti and immigration to the United States. One story that stands out is the story of her uncle's attempt to leave Haiti during the early 2000s. Her uncle was Joseph Dantaka, a longtime pastor in the Bel Air neighborhood of Port-au-Prince. As social and political conditions there deteriorated, things came to a head when the local gang in Bel Air blamed Pastor Dantaka for allowing police forces to use uh, his church building for an operation that resulted in the death of some gang members. The gang responded by damaging the church and laid out a dire threat to the pastor. He had to flee. He and his son, Moxo, were able to fly out of Port-au-Prince possessing visitors' visas to the United States in October 2004. Their intention was to apply for asylum once on the ground in Miami things went terribly wrong once landing in miami confusion ensued us customs and border patrol detained pastor dantekar and maxo believing that they were attempting to gain illegal entrance into the united states Edwidge dantekar writes when they reached the us customs and border patrol cbp checkpoint they presented their passports and a valid Tourist visas to a CBP officer. When asked how long they would be staying in the United States, my uncle, not understanding the full implication of that choice, said he wanted to apply for temporary asylum. That occasioned their detention. While detained for a very brief period, Pastor Dantecar became ill and died. He was 81 years old. I share this story because he was a man who had done nothing to deserve what he experienced in 2004 in Port-au-Prince. His life was hanging in the balance. He had to flee his home country. The bitter irony is that once reaching a place where he thought was refuge and asylum, he was refused that. And he died an ignominious death while detained by the United States Customs and Border Patrol. When Isaiah delivered this prophecy to Judah, they were still living in the Promised Land, yet their sin against God would soon result in their dispossession and exile. The Lord in His justice would force them out. But unlike what happened to Joseph Dantaka, their exile would not result in their death. God's covenantal promises followed Judah into Babylonian exile, and those promises would be for them, their children, and even grandchildren during a 70-year period of exile. Even though Judas' sin and covenant of unfaithfulness caused their exile, God graciously invited them to the abundant life, inclusive of pardon from sin. This gospel invitation is not only for those who are members of the covenant, but for all nations. The church of Jesus Christ, brethren and sisters, must continue to offer this gracious invitation to all people. As we approach this passage, look at verse 1 again. We see the Lord's quadruple invitation to Judah. The Lord's quadruple invitation to Judah. Hear the words of the prophet once again. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Now, even though, as we just mentioned, Judah is still on the ground in the promised land when Isaiah delivers this prophecy, but the prophecy speaks to Judah's future. Owing to their sin, they will experience dispossession from their land and exile in Babylon. But still… The Lord God issues this broad invitation to, number one, the thirsty. The thirsty. And his invitation is to come to the waters. Second, to the poor. But here we are talking about the spiritually bankrupt. To the spiritually bankrupt, to the spiritually poor, he invites them to come eat. Drink wine, and milk. And all of this is free. It's all free. And this is the Lord extending His grace, His magnanimity, His generosity. Though His people have sinned, they fail to keep the covenant. The Lord God offers them perpetual nourishment, refreshment, and joy. Water, wine, and milk, they're all figurative, but they all point to continual nourishment, continual refreshment, and joy. This generous invitation is for the Lord's covenant people. I want us to keep that in mind. In paraphrasing Martin Luther, 16th century German reformer, Luther Luther said that you have to preach the gospel to the baptized too. We, we, We can't forget that among us, we have baptized members of the church of Christ, many of which have yet to make a public confession and be taken in as communicant members of our church. But this is a gracious and generous invitation for baptized members of Christ's church. Thirst and poverty are metaphors of Christ's church. Thirst and poverty are metaphors of your sinful condition. But I want to insist that You don't take your privilege as baptized members of Christ's church for granted. I know. I used to sit where you sat. And I count the privilege now, looking back on it, that I was baptized as an infant in a Roman Catholic church, left the Roman Catholic church. I'm a real Protestant. And I left at five years old. I marched out. And was rebaptized in a Baptist church and remained in that church as a full member. But I can look back and say, I definitely wasn't converted at that point. But here's the thing, and, and, and this is what I want to impress upon all of our young people who are baptized. I counted a blessing to have been in the house of God Sunday in and Sunday out. Yeah, I know for, for, for most of y'all, this, this is normal. This is normal. 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, where you supposed to be? I'm supposed to be at church. I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do that. This is This is old hat. This is normal. But don't take it for granted. Because... God is calling you Sunday in and Sunday out. And so, the point here is to listen to God, and God says, come. He says, come. He says, come quench your spiritual thirst. Come and drink. Come and be nourished from God's provisions. Let's look at uh, verse 2, a call to feast. Two questions here that the prophet raises. So in contrast to the Lord's gracious and generous offer in verse 1, the prophet asks, why are the people spending money and laboring for their own food that leaves them hungry? I don't know about you, but that's one of the worst feelings in the world. You sit down and you eat. And it tastes good and then 20 minutes later you are still hungry that happens to me all the time i eat i eat them mm, it's good then i find myself reaching for a bag of potato chips i need to be topped off but here's the question that god is posing to us his covenant people why are you laboring for something that fails to satisfy Now, the allusions here are to people going their own way. Not simply laboring for food and still leaving hungry. No, 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 no. It's about people going their own way. People doing their own thing. Failing to obey the Lord God. And most of all, failing to heed his call. They're living according to their own philosophies, or the world's philosophies, going their own way. And this is the lure of the world. World Worldly philosophies and values are enticing. I will never say anything other than that. They're enticing. They sound good, may even make sense in certain contexts. And they are enticing for teenagers and young adults. Teenagers and young adults, you're at a stage now where you're questioning a lot of things. Yeah. You're sitting here. I see you all every week. But I know what you're thinking. Because I sat there, I know what I was thinking. I know what I was thinking. You know? Is Is this all what life has to offer? Is there another way? Are Christians too mean? Are Christians too rough? Are Christians judgmental? Is there really a hell? Is there really a heaven? I mean, these are questions that we all have, but especially teens and young adults. And, and, and what the prophet is doing here, he's calling out your questioning, and he's steering you back to the Lord. In light of spending money, one that 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 that, that and, and, and goods that fail to satisfy. The Lord reaffirms his call. He doesn't just leave us out there. He doesn't just leave you out there hanging with these questions, but he reaffirms his call, his gracious and generous invitation to you, his people. But he also, he gives you an offer. He refers to a rich feast. Yeah, you run out of things that that fail to satisfy. And you're spending your own money. You're spending your own wheels. But God is saying, why are you messing around with those things? The things that fail to satisfy you, where I have this table full of everything that you need. It is a feast of gracious provision, a feast of merciful fare, and a feast of compassionate cuisine. So the thrust here is that a person would be foolish to reject this invitation. Jesus, our prophet, in John 10 and 10 refers to such a gracious invitation as an invitation to the abundant life, the abundant life. And I know some of us believers, we go around living our Christian lives not thinking about the abundance that God has given us, the abundance that that, that we have in God, because we complain too much. We worry too much. We nitpick too much. We point fingers too much. And that's not the abundant life. That is not the abundant life. And I know there are trials that come and legitimate worries that we have. But do we believe that God through Christ has given us abundance? And are we living out of that abundance? Because not only is the world watching us, but so are our covenant children and our covenant teenagers. They're watching us. They're watching us. They are watching us. So, if we want to put legs and feet to what we believe, especially based on what Jesus offers us, then we have to live in that abundance. His purpose, Christ's purpose, is to give all who believe, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, how much money you got, the lack of money you got. His purpose is to give all who believe in Him this abundant life. And yes, tie it back into Isaiah, the spiritual milk, the spiritual water, the spiritual wine, all kinds of spiritual food, all kinds of spiritual nourishment, Jesus has in His hands to offer to you. Look at verse 3. The Lord's covenant gift of everlasting life. Again, listen to the prophet. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So the prophet continues with the language of hearing and listening and invitation. But the terms of the invitation are now more extensive. It is life the Lord is offering. Not, not simply food in the figurative sense, but life he's offering his people. And it is sure and everlasting. And it's rooted in the Lord God's promise made to David, King David. God promised David, back in 1 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David that there will always be one of his descendants on the throne of Judah. Now, the immediate audience that will be listening to Isaiah's prophecy here? That they would say, well, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we see that there's still a descendant of David on the throne. And they should have understood by that that God was still faithful to His promise to David. But since this prophecy is directed to the future, when Judah would be in exile in Babylon, ha. Ah, We don't see one of David's sons on the throne. In fact, we're under a foreign king. We're under foreign rule now. We've been dispossessed. We've been exiled. Has God forgotten us? Has God turned His back on us? Well, this prophecy says no. But still... The people have to think, well, if there's no longer a man right now sitting in Jerusalem in the city of David, there must be one coming that's going to reclaim the throne. And that's when we go to verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. Behold, I made him a witness to the people's. Him is referring back to David a leader and commander for the peoples. So the Lord's purpose for placing David on the throne was to be a witness for the peoples or Gentiles. His power and reign was universal. And obviously, from biblical history and from history in general, David didn't rule over every people on the globe. David didn't witness to every people on the face of the earth. So this prophecy must have an ultimate fulfillment in another person. Was also known as the Son of Jesus Christ as the Son of David. Even a demon-possessed man who saw Jesus passing by... (laughs) And Jesus asked the Pharisees on one occasion, whose son is the Christ? And you know what they said? Now it it, it it didn't come out real real joyful. They said, of David. Of David. So it is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the one who finds fulfillment in God's promise to David, and David himself. David himself said in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus rehearsed that verse to the Pharisees in Luke 20, 41 through 44, asking them the question, man, who's, if, 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 if David refers to his son as the Lord, then who you're looking at right now is the son of David, is the Lord that David spoke about in the Psalms. So it is Jesus who was a witness to Jews and Gentiles alike. He is a leader and a commander. He leads his people in the way of God. He commands his people to love God and their neighbor. And he calls people to believe the gospel. Yeah. But look at verse 5. Not only is is David, the son of David, who finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ a witness, but also Judah has been positioned as a witness to the nations. Judah's witness to the nations. Verse 5, behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. So the prophet shifts from David's witness to Judah's witness. Their call is not only to feast abundantly. I want to say that again. Their call is just not to feast abundantly, but they are to invite other people to the feast. (laughs) And the Lord had and the Lord will glorify them for that purpose. To the Lord's people or people who seek to invite the world to the gospel feast. And in this sense, the church is blessed. The church is at to hoard the blessings of God's grace and generosity. The church is to be generous with These blessings, so often, to the church's chagrin, to the church's shame, there have been debates about whether or not the church should be evangelical in a sense of broadcasting the gospel to all people. Churches have split on that. Can you imagine that? I think some of y'all can, because some of y'all come from those types of churches. I'm not using those types in a pejorative sense, but just making clear the historical record. The historical record of the church, especially 19th, 20th, and even now in the 20th, 21st century, has been, I would say, checkered in, in the sense of, 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 of being evangelical in a sense of, of graciously and generously sharing the gospel with people who are outside of the church. And let me say, brothers and sisters, that where we stand right now, especially in this country, the witness of the church has been soiled by people who call themselves Christians, being censorious, being sexist, being racist, misogynistic, enemies to the poor, what have you. It's checkered. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We have to take a critical look at the church as a whole. Church is too mired in politics. I thought I'd get these, these one witness there. The church is too mired in politics. The church is too mired in power. The church is too ethnocentric. Lacking that generosity in the call to all people to believe the gospel. And at times, I mean I I, I thank God for his electing grace. Because if 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 I was outside of Christ right now and I looked at what was being said by, by individual Christians, very popular Christians, I don't think Christianity would be for me. I'm just keeping it real. Because what I see is speaking around of somebody like me. Not even speaking over my head, but speaking under my feet. Speaking around me. I would want nothing to do with the church. But this is a challenge. This prophecy is a challenge for us to be gracious, to be generous. We are not judges. Christ is a judge god is the judge we have been equipped to be what witnesses witnesses i watched a lot of Perry mason when i was a kid yeah and 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 i like mystery shows now and and cop shows but i've never seen a witness after giving his or her testimony down a robe and sit at the judgment seat, and then pass judgment. That's not the witness's role. The witness's role is is to give testimony. In this case, it is to give testimony of God's grace toward us, of God's generosity toward us. Finally, in verses 6 through 7, The Lord God's call to repentance. Again, listen to the prophet. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord for he may have… that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon." The Lord commands Judah to seek Him and call upon Him. And the seeking and calling indicate their repentance from their sin, their covenantal unfaithfulness. They had been going about in their own way. The time is now to repent and follow their Lord. And by repenting of their sin, they will receive the Lord's compassion, His mercy that results in abundant pardon. Abundant pardon. Not just pardon for sin that I committed before I repented, but abundant pardon in that every sin that they had committed is now canceled. Abundant pardon. Pardon, so brothers and sisters, baptized members of the church, the time to repent is now. The Lord will not always be found to offer this grace. That's what he says here. Do not wait for tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised. The not promised to any of us. God's grace is for today. Another prophet who come along a little later, John the Baptist, preached a baptism of repentance for what? The forgiveness of sins. And then when he went off the scene, here comes Jesus, who began his public ministry by preaching Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. So the call is to repent. Turn from our own way of thinking. Turn from our own way of doing things. Turn from our own way of living life. Repent. Turn and receive the grace and generosity Jesus Christ has. And, 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 and if you doubt, if you doubt this gracious and generous offer, just look to the cross. Look to the cross where God the Father placed His own Son on that tree, not to die for sins that He had committed, but for the sins of His people just look to the cross. Well, them might say, well, well I, 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 don't, you know, I don't think Jesus will forgive me of this sin. Yes, He will because uh, He died for that sin. Well, I don't think Jesus can forgive me for that sin. Well, yes, He will because He died for that sin too. Jesus bore the wrath of God for a sinful, stiff-necked no good world of sinners. And because he died, and because he got up on the, third, on, on the third day morning, rising for the justification of all who will believe in him, then we should know, we have confidence, that if God sacrifice his own son for abundantly pardoning believers in their sin, then there's no reason to doubt. The writer of the Hebrews said, today, today is a day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation Harden not your hearts. And I know from the outside looking in, or even from the inside looking out, Christianity doesn't seem to be such a glorious thing. So much strife. So much bickering. So much back and forth. And I understand that. But the prophet here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is calling for whoever hears to tune the static out and listen and incline your ear to what he's saying, this Word of God. That's what we are called to do right now. Listen and incline. Why would you continue to work for stuff that don't work for you? Stuff that leaves leave you dissatisfied and empty. God, through Christ, His work on the cross, on behalf of sinners, has a table of every imaginable, delectable, Fruit, vegetable, meat, what have you. It's right there for the taking. Believe the gospel today. And you'll be invited to that table. All your sins, every last one of them, be forgiven. What more? What more can we ask for? What more can we ask for in this day and age? Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, we are amazed at your generosity. We are amazed at your love. We're amazed at your grace, that you are willing to forgive people their sins. In your justice, Lord, you sent your Son to that cross. Jesus, Jesus drank from the bitter cup on that cross on behalf of a world of sinners, on behalf of His people. So, Lord, we pray that someone, some, some people today would hear your voice loud and clear and would come to the waters, who would come buy and eat, who would come and drink milk and wine, and to turn from their sins and receive abundant pardon even right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.